you were here first service, you know lightning does strike twice. <laughs> My name is Vince, and I'm one of the pastors. And um, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to go on and turn your Bibles there. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Ricky and I were talking about, hey, what, what are we going to do for these two standalone messages? And, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a plan at the time. We just knew, hey, we've got two messages between Mark and Revelation. So what are we going to do? And as we started talking, we both had the same burden, but from different kind of places and different scriptures, actually. And that was, excuse me, something about, like, let's build the church. We want to strengthen the church. We want to show the glory that the church is. And so let's, let's preach on building the church. And so last week, uh, Ricky was preaching on Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls, right? And how each family had a role in, in the building of the walls of Jerusalem. Well, today we're going to be speaking about the building of the church from, uh, from Matthew 16. So let's, uh, let's stand and read God's word. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us now by your spirit to see Christ and to, to see what Christ is doing. Today, we ask in his name. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. So this text has a lot of things going on there, right? Like a lot of questions can be asked of it. Like, what is, what is this rock that he's going to build upon? Is that Peter or is that Peter's confession? Is Peter the first pope and therefore starting the, the papal line of succession? What does it mean to have the keys to the kingdom of heaven? What does Jesus mean by whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven? Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven? Those are all really good questions, and we're not going to talk about those today, okay? So um, some other time, some other place, disclaimer, Peter is not the pope, not the first pope. Just want to be clear about that. Amen. (laughs) Um, But this question We want to zero in on verse 18. 
right? Because this, this text reveals that something is being built. There's a building project going on, and, and we want to talk about that today. What is going on with this building project? Jesus is building his church. And a logical question for us today is what are we building? What are, what are you personally building? What am I personally building? Are we building things that will fail and falter and, and find the end of their, their uh, uh, usefulness? Or are we building things that matter eternally? So we're going to look at this in kind of three questions, right? Who's building? What are they building? And how are they building? Who, what, how? And the whole time that we're, we're digging through those three questions, be thinking of this overarching question. What am I building? So who's building? Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The building project is going on is simply Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his church. There's a lot going on in the world. But let that statement sink in. Jesus is building his church. You know, every building project has a general contractor, right? We just finished building this kids ministry wing and we had a GC. He was pretty good. He was pretty good. He kept everything headed toward completion. He, uh, you know, he made some missteps, though. He made some mistakes. Right, Todd? (laughs) I'm sure Todd can tell you way more than I can about this, but one one example is they ordered the wrong sinks, and then they put those wrong sinks in the wrong spot in the bathrooms. Now they've been fixing them, and they're they're you know it's fine, it's it's okay. Jesus is the GC that is building his church. He never makes a misstep. He never makes a miscalculation. He never orders the wrong sink. He never puts the wrong sink in the wrong location. Okay? Jesus does not make mistakes. He is is ushering his building project, the church, to its completion date and its completion. And he never makes a mistake. Never is frustrated by timeline issues. The Almighty is the one who is building on this project. He is the one who is never late, never wrong, and accomplishes all things that He sets out to do. And He's building on a foundation. You know, they had to, they had to tear up that, that concrete that we had back there that was over, un, for the covered area and, and pour a foundation, right? Well, Jesus is also building on a foundation. He's building on the foundation of Peter's confession of who Jesus is. The Messiah. The Christ. The Son of the living God. See, Jesus is building because he is the son of the living God. 
That means he's alive as well. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the resurrection, right? Well, now, since the resurrection has occurred, Jesus is alive. That enables him to build. And what is he building? He's building the church that is something of eternal significance. And he's building it on the foundation of Peter's profession. And that profession is of faith. Faith in him. It's the faith that, that he died for our sins, paying the full penalty to ransom us and free us from our sins. The resurrection proves that. And the faith is what he is building on. You see, Jesus is the builder. But in a sense, we are too. You see, when, when he says, that Peter's confession precedes Jesus saying he will build. And Jesus says, on this rock. I will build my church. So we confess. And through doing so and by doing so, Jesus builds the church in and through us. So he's the GC, but we're the workers. You know, the, the, the GC, he didn't hammer any nails, he didn't lay any tile, he didn't hang the drywall, he didn't tape and float it. He had crews and teams of people who were specialized to do those special things. And it is so with the church. He calls people and empowers them to do specific or things that only they can do. And I'm not talking pastors here. I'm not talking those kind of people. I'm talking about every single person that he calls. He empowers to do something that only they can do. There existed a partnership between the general contractor and all of these, these guys. A partnership to get this project done. There exists a partnership between Jesus and his disciples as well. He is building his church through those disciples. And he's building on their confession of faith. And then those disciples take an active role in building the church. And so do we. So do we. We're no different than the first 12. So he builds, but we build along with him. So, so what are we building alongside Jesus? He builds his church. He builds his church. What are you building? Many of us are building things that may not be the church. I've got a couple of examples here that, that we'll work through. You know, some these are these are all good things. But they're not good things when they become the main thing. They miss the call of Jesus to his disciples. So we can build our jobs. Our vocations are a gift, a grace gift from the Lord. And we are called to work heartily at them as if working for the Lord himself. He is our boss after all. Oh man, but when we focus all of our time and our energy and our will there... And it's not something that lasts. We're, 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 we're doing a disservice to the church. Think about Luke 12, 
for a bit. Jesus tells this story of a man who, who had an abundant harvest, right? It was so abundant that he couldn't even store it. And he said, you know what? I'm going to tear these barns down and I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to store all of my stuff and then I'm going to sit back and I'm going to say to myself, self, you have plenty. Eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord comes to him that night and, and, and the, the text says demands his soul of him. Calls him a fool. You fool. Did you not know this very night your soul would be demanded of you? And then Jesus just kind of leaves the question hanging. Whose will all those possessions be? And you know, we can, we can maybe answer that question. Well, hey, I worked hard and, 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 and saved and, and built all this up for my family to have. And it's going to be okay. Well, okay, sure. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying don't do that. Hear me. But what's more important? When you're gone for them to have a lot of stuff or, or the means to buy a lot of stuff, or is it a better investment, a better thing for you to be involved in building the church, in building them into the church so that when you're gone, there is a strong vibrant, growing church there. That is going to be of better and lasting importance to them than the possessions that your job allowed you to, to, to lay up. Another thing we can build is, is our kids. And look, absolutely, Scripture calls us, commands. It doesn't call us. It commands us to train our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We are to build our kids. What's one of the primary ways we build our kids, though? With endless activities, with sports, with band, with clubs, with extra stuff. All of them are good. I'm not here saying, don't put your kids in sports. No, no, no. I'm saying, no, don't, don't let those things run your life and encroach upon your time so that there's no time for the church. And I'm not talking about this building and, and what happens here in this, in this place. I'm talking about the people. All of those things serve a function. Here's an example of one of those functions, though, and how things can, can maybe be skewed. I played sports for six years. Uh, uh, basketball, I was horrible. You never want me on your team if you're thinking about, hey, Vince played basketball. Nope. I'll tell you now. Can't hit the jumper. I can block out, but I can't jump high enough for the rebound, so you don't want that. Um, played football, and I ran track, okay? Six years. I have one lesson that's eternally significant, and that's to not quit. Or give up. One lesson for six years. Was it worth the six years? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I can't answer that question. Only the Lord can. But it's a lot of time. The point is, if our schedule is so full with stuff that is not with the church... We're communicating the church's importance and relevance to our children. And if we are busy running them to and from activities, 
we're telling them those things are more important than what Jesus is building. And Jesus is building his church. And look, if your kid's on a championship team, in 10 years, nobody will care. Your kid might. Might. No one else will. We model the church's importance. We show its uniqueness and its eternal worth by what we do. And our kids are always watching. And they, they will see what's important to mom and dad. And we are called to, to, to show that eternal significance with our time, our talents, and our treasure that were given to us by God to accomplish his purpose and his work. And what is his purpose and his work? It's building the church. Building the church. And it's the same with anything that is good but can become the central focus, right? 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that the things we build will be revealed on the day, capital D. What does that mean? On the day of the Lord's return, on the day of Christ Jesus, the stuff we build will be revealed. How? By fire. And if it's not something that's going to last, it will be burned up. That doesn't mean you will be burned up. That doesn't mean that our, our works and the things we build save us or condemn us. It's saying we can be saved and spend our whole life building something that doesn't matter. And that on that day, it will be burned up and we will get through the fire as if one saved by the fire. What a waste. But you know what doesn't get burned up through the fire? Say it with me. You know what I'm going to say? The church. The church does not get burned up by the fire. In 10,000 years, the church will still be gathering around Jesus, will still be praising Jesus, will still be exalting His name. Nothing else will. Nothing has that kind of staying power. Only the church. You know, maybe you're building your comfort. Comfort, again, not a bad thing. But the, the, the question to ask is, are you taking the risk of exposing yourself to what Jesus is building? Or are you building things that insulate you from suffering? Because here's the, the hard truth. Jesus calls us to a, a life of sacrifice while following him. And comfort is the enemy of sacrifice. And when you're building with people, it hurts. I will hurt you one day. I'm sorry. Yes, your pastor. I am a flawed, trying to do the right thing guy. I will hurt you one day. And you'll hurt me one day too. It's hard to live life together. But it's worth it. 
See, if we build the church, we're called to expose ourselves to suffering and hardship in the form of relational, incarnational ministry to one another. Think about Jesus and his disciples. He exposed himself to these 12 guys for the majority of his time daily for three years. Why? To build the church. And think about these guys. You got Peter, who's a lot like me, just saying dumb stuff regularly. I coined the term last service, Peterisms. He's just got these Peterisms. I have these Vinceisms, don't I? Guys on the team, y'all know them. Then <laughs> uh, you had Judas, who Jesus said, didn't I call all 12 of you, even though one of you is a devil? Think about the pain every day. Knowing that this guy would be the one that handed you over for 30 pieces of silver. Simon, the zealot, who expected him to show up with an army and drive the Romans out of, out of town and just sit on a throne and be like, yeah. And then Matthew, the guy who's like, you know what, the... Romans probably aren't all that bad. I mean, I got a really big house from them. He was a tax collector. These guys, they all wanted Jesus to bring the kingdom in their own understanding. And none of them were there when, they, when he died. They all turned their back. They all left. They all scattered Jesus exposed himself relationally in order to build his church through imperfect, flawed, and oftentimes wrong people. And he calls us to do the same. To step out of our comfort and to build his church through, with him working through us. Why? Why build the church? Why should we spend ourselves in this endeavor? Look around. Look around. You can do it right now. Look at the person next to you, behind you, in front of you. I, I said, look around, and y'all all looked at me. No, <laughs> look around. <laughs> they are why. They need you, and you need them. As much as we need Jesus, we need the person in the, in the seat next to us. We need the person in the row behind us. Why? Because Jesus doesn't save us to a relationship of, oh, it's just me and Jesus. No, Jesus saves us to a relationship with each other and him. He calls a people to himself, not events. They are why. Notice what Jesus says about the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now look, in the original it was Hades, which kind of doesn't necessarily correspond to, to hell as we think of it. That's more Gehenna. But, but Hades, which corresponded more to Sheol in the Jewish 
uh, in, in Hebrew, which was, was what? The abode of the dead. It's saying the place where death dwells. In, in, in essence, Jesus is saying the gates of death will not prevail against the church. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And he gives life to his church. And death cannot touch her. Alec said of this, this point, the gospel message is more powerful than the difficulties of life. The hard things of life can be endured because the gates of hell cannot prevail over the church because at the heart of the church is the message of the gospel. The message that Jesus died to secure a people for his own possession, that death cannot move, that death cannot remove, that death cannot cause to fall away. What is the biggest, scariest thing we face as humans? It's death. The second is taxes. But no, it's death, guys. There's nothing we can do that will prevent it. There's nothing we can do that we can evade it. There's nothing, there is no getting around it. And you know what Jesus says about his church? Death cannot prevail against it. Let's be about building that. She is eternal. The church is eternal. Earlier we looked at 1 Corinthians 3 and, and we were talking about building stuff that gets burned up, right? But you know what verse 14 says? Another great reason to build the church. One, first reason is death cannot prevail against it. The second, look at this. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. As if the church weren't reward enough. He says, man, be about building the things that I'm building. Be about that. And I'm like, that's reward enough. You know what? If we get to eternity and I know Neil better than I knew him a month ago, that is a win. That Well, I hope I know you. I hope we have a little more time than that. But like that is the purpose of building the church so that when we get to eternity, I'm not like, hey, dude, you sat in front of me for 15 years. Good to meet you finally. No, let's build. There's a, but, but then there's an even better reward or a different reward. There's another reward that the Lord promises if we build this thing that won't be burned up. This thing that will survive. Why? Because death will not prevail against it. The church will outlast and survive life and the fire. The church is the blood-bought bride of Christ. It is worthy of the Lord Jesus dying to secure it for eternity. It should be worthy of our meager human efforts to build it. It's what Jesus died for. He didn't die for your job. He didn't die for your language club. He didn't die for your sports team. He died 
so that the church could be forged into a people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So what are you building? And there's another reason to build it. The church is the vehicle where God's manifold wisdom is made known. Paul says in Ephesians 3.10 about the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to whom? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Church is the vehicle through which the manifold wisdom of God is made known, not only to the world, but to the rulers and authorities, those that have set themselves up against God, who say, I want your place, God. I want your glory. I want to be you. And through the church, the manifold, that means every, like every bit of it, all of it, all, every facet, every sprinkling of God's wisdom is made known to the enemies of God through the church. Wow. What are you building? Are you building that? We should be. The church is what Jesus is building, and he calls every disciple to be about that. So, so in summary, why build the church? It is eternal. It will outlast death. The gates of death will not prevail against it. We receive a reward from building it. And it reveals God's manifold witness. Nothing else in all creation has that kind of ROI. Nothing. Only the church. So let's build a strong, vibrant, Christ-centered church for the glory of God, the good of our families, and the eternal witness of the world. And you're probably, I hope you're sitting there saying, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. But how? I don't know how. Maybe you're sitting there saying, well, I mean, sure, but like I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, a tra- I've never been to seminary. I don't know how to build the church. Well, you know what? Uh, neither were the disciples. He's talking to guys that were fishermen. Fish, fishermen. <laughs> See, sometimes I say stupid stuff. Like Peter. Uh, they were fishermen. Uh, they were, many of them, blue-collar guys. Uh, one of them was a, a crazy, like, overthrow-the-government type guy. Another guy was, like, a, a, a sellout to that government. None of these guys were professional church builders, okay? The call to build the church lands at the feet of every single disciple. These guys weren't the apostles yet. So again, comes the question, how? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And yes, I cheated with my ribbon. Sorry. We're going to read verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
I know what you're thinking. What? That's it? Huh? There's got to be more than that, Vince, right? That's it. That's the plan. That is the plan. Seems too simple, doesn't it? We're called to build the church because Jesus is building the church. And Acts 2.42 is how Jesus builds his church. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So what does that mean? Well, it means that, they, uh, that the message given by the Spirit is the message that, that they devoted themselves to. Okay, the apostles' teaching. And what did the apostles teach? They taught what Jesus taught. And what Jesus taught was that all of the Old Testament pointed to him. The teaching of Jesus was the confirmation of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of God's promises. So how does the church today devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, at Cross of Grace Church, we are a, a gospel-centered, Christ-centered, we, we preach scripture. And so you devote yourself to the apostles' teaching by being centered on the word. And the things that our church does that are centered on the word are our are Sunday worship gatherings. When we gather together, we sing the gospel, we pray the gospel, we preach the gospel, we respond to the gospel. Our community groups, there's a, an element of Bible study and gospel-centeredness there as well. And then also our discipleship groups, which are smaller groups of three or four folks getting together and digging into the Word and digging into life together deep. That is one place we're called to be devoted to, to the teaching of the apostles. The second thing they were devoted to was the fellowship. This primarily takes place in our community groups, okay? Our community groups move forward our, our core value of family. And if you're not involved in one, I would just encourage you, get involved in one. Because in order to devote yourself to the fellowship, you have to know who is in your fellowship. You have to know who your circle is so you can get dug in deep with them. Our community group. Never mind, that comes later. Sorry. Be devoted to these things, guys. Be devoted to the fellowship. It doesn't mean that every time you're together with a believer, you have to make it into some super spiritual, very deep Bible study lesson. No, there are, there are different ways that we can march fellowship forward. Okay, here are a couple of ideas. Uh, every Tuesday, Taco Tuesday, baby, have your group or a subset of your group go and take over a restaurant. Just... Build that into your calendar. Hey, this is what we're going to do, guys, every Tuesday. You know, at one point, uh, come on, Chewy's, please bring it back. Uh, at one point, Chewy's had the, the all-you-can-eat nacho bar. So you could literally go there and, like, get one drink and then have unlimited nachos all night. That's craziness. That's the kind of stuff that, like, even that anyone can do. Free food, sure, I'll take some. And I get to hang out with my peeps? Yeah, sign me up. Just do that every week. It means building into your budget 
money for things like baseball games. Uh, I'm forgetting what else is in the list. Uh, baseball games, bowling nights, movie nights. Maybe, maybe you don't even have to spend money. Maybe you just get together for like board game nights. The point is, you've got to be getting together with people. That is devoting yourself to the fellowship. And then the prayers, be devoted to the prayers. This one flows out of being devoted to the fellowship. If you don't know who you're with, you don't know how to pray for them. You know, in our CG, uh, we, we had a, a, a lady who was going through a really hard divorce. And being devoted to fellowship with her informed how we should pray for her, how we could encourage her, how we could love on her. And we never would have known that if we didn't dig in and be devoted to fellowship. You'll never know how you can pray for those that you're building the church with if you're not involved in their life. How are they doing in their walk with the Lord? How's their parenting going? How are they managing their struggle against sin? How are they fighting that sin? Let me put it that way. Forget sin management. Fight sin. Kill sin. How are they killing their sin? How are they coping with being single? If you don't know, I mean, you don't know if you're not involved with them in the building of the church. And Jesus is building in and through them. Finally, be devoted to the breaking of bread. Look, this is a code word, okay? Like overwhelming majority of the time when you see the, breaking, the term the breaking of bread in the New Testament, it's code for communion, all right? Communion. Here's the thing, the gathering of the saints on Sunday morning is so important that the Spirit had it come up twice in the means of grace. Once is in devoted to the apostles' teaching, primarily through the preaching of the Word. And the second time is being devoted to the breaking of bread, which happens when the church is gathered in person on the Lord's Day. We are to be devoted to this assembly. We are to be devoted to it. We're not called to come when it's convenient or when it's easy or when things are conducive to getting all of the kids out the door on time. We are to be devoted to it. Why? Because it's how the church is built. These four things are, are called the means of grace. The word, the fellowship, the prayers, and the breaking of bread. And communion is a means of grace to the people of God. When we partake of the elements of the Lord's table, we proclaim, we remember, we celebrate, and we look forward to his return. Be devoted to it. We that means we are supposed to plan our lives around these things, not these things around our lives. These things take precedence. So what are you building? Because the truth is Jesus is building his church 
through the church. And we are called to do that as well. And the building of this people group into a people with with specific markers, it's not something new. It's not something that Jesus just decided in Matthew uh, 16 to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to build my church now. No, this was the plan from the beginning. In the garden, God tells Adam and Eve, hey, uh, multiply upon the earth, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. They were the ones who were supposed to to make a people for God. They fell into sin and failed at doing so. Then he comes to uh, Abraham. And God said that through him all the nations would be blessed. Um, Yet they end up in sin and falling uh, in slavery and falling away into idolatry and worshiping the gods of Egypt, right? And then in Exodus, Moses leads them out from slavery and, and, and God gives him the law. And the law is kind of like the constitution for the nation of Israel. And he's saying, this is how I'm going to make this people group for my own possession. And what happened? They fell into sin as well. And God brought judgment, even so much so that he was like, I'm going to just, I'm going to do away with them. And through you, Moses. Then we come to the time of the judges. They were meant to lead God's people. We've got what scholars call the the judges cycle, right? They're doing well, they're doing poorly. They're doing well, they're doing poorly. And we come to David. Oh, we've got a king now. A wise human king finally. And he fails. And then every other king behind him fails. Why did this not work? Did God fail? No. We see in Deuteronomy. Moses calls the people to do what? To circumcise the foreskin of their hearts. They, they needed heart circumcision. There's something, there, there needed to be a deep change at the core. And it hadn't been accomplished yet. And then later in Deuteronomy, God promises himself to circumcise their hearts. And this occurs only when Jesus dies for the sins of his people, is buried, is resurrected, and then ascends. Why only after the ascension? Because after the ascension, he sends the Spirit. And the Spirit works the miracle of regeneration and gives us a new heart that is circumcised. And so now, finally and fully, this can take place Jesus can build his people into a possession for his own possession Alec again has great insight here their desires are no longer theirs but Jesus's Our desires cannot be what we want, but what Jesus wants, and that is to build the church. The desire to build the church is a foreign desire to us. It only comes after a renewed heart that is circumcised in its flesh. And we know, we know this works. 
How do we know this works? Just, just go a couple of more verses down in Acts 2 to verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The devotion to these things by those whom the Spirit has circumcised their hearts results in day by day more and more who are being saved. Guys, it happened down through history even to here. This church that we are called to build is being built by Jesus through us doing what we are called to do. By devoting ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, prayers, and the breaking of bread. And in doing so, we build the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. We build something that will last for all eternity. We build something that is, that is the very Lord building it through us. So church, what are you building? Let's remember, Jesus is building his church through the church. So let's be part of that building project. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are building something that, that, that the church's existence is not dependent on our efforts, but it is fully and wholly brought into existence by your efforts. We sang earlier, grace and grace alone. And, and Lord, that, that song is right. We are saved only by grace and grace alone. And, and we say so often that we are in, in, in Protestant evangelical circles, we are saved by grace through faith. And that's 100% true. But it's also true that we are saved by works. Your works, Jesus. Your works, you are still working, still building your church. So Lord, build through us. Empower us to build alongside you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we respond by singing together?
My high is good and my unending need. Lord, my rock. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, strong defender of my weary heart, my sword to fight the cruel deceiver, and my shield against his hateful dark. My soul with enemies around me. Oh. My hope when tides of sorrow rise. He's our joy. My joy when trials are abound. Your faithfulness, my refuge in the Savior of my ruin. 